Hey, how you doing? Welcome to the Fell Pony Podcast. My name's Tom Lloyd, and it's really lovely to have you here again. There have been fell ponies at Lounthwaite since at least 1889. Today, the Lounthwaite ponies are one of the last semi-feral herds to roam the northern Pennines, and are managed by mother and daughter, who are the fifth generation of the family. So I would like to introduce my guests, Christine Morton and Alison Bell. Christine is president of the Fell Pony Society and Alison sits on the Fell Pony Society Council. Christine, Alison, how are you doing? Very well. Grand, thank you. Great day. Yeah, I was just going to say the first, today's felt like the first real day that felt like spring today. It is the first day of spring today, I think. But isn't the saying, in like a lamb and out like a lion? Yeah, in like a lamb and out like a lion. <laughs> oh, there you go. Okay, bring, bring it on. I, I want to hear all of those this evening. That's really good. So, as I said in the introduction, there have been fell ponies at Lounthwaite since at least 1889, when Mr Thomas, Wales, I think you called him Thos, mm, yeah. and, his, and his mother Mary moved there. And, and you described it actually as a time when equines were the powerhouse of agriculture. Um, so, I, I wonder if you just... Let's just go into that a little bit. What would what, what you mean by that? What was going on? What was the world like back then? Well, obviously, I wasn't alive. <laughs> but um, the move to Lounsweight, it was, a, it was a tenanted farm from the Hothfield Appleby Castle Estate. Steam power didn't really come to fellside farms. It was a, The land was too up and down, hilly, and little, not much ploughing. So the powerhouse was you'd have your Clydesdales for your tractors, and you would have your light-legged horses for running around on if you went to market. And your fell ponies were really your odd job men. They would fill the job of what you sort of like your quad bike today would be. They would do a variety of jobs. They were never strong enough to plough, despite what people said. I always remember John T. Wilson saying somebody decided to yoke two fell ponies and they would plough with them. And uh, they couldn't do a full furrow, so they just ploughed the field round and round in um, in little short stitches because that was as much as the ponies could do. So it was complete farce. That's what I meant by the powerhouse of agriculture. You know, you either walked, you rode a bike... Oh, you rode a pony. And you guys, I think I, I'm not. I'm not sure if there's a moot point here, but you're you're one one of the very oldest herds, aren't you? Five generations. I think I think it might be between you and the Peeping's ponies. I'm not sure which is the oldest. But your your ponies run out at a height of two thousand seven hundred feet. I think it is at Cross Fell. So, so that's pretty wild, isn't it? Could you describe? Your setup and your, you know, you're farming. Are you farming sheep as yes, well? Have yeah. I got that right? Beef and sheep. So, can you describe your setup? You know, where the ponies run and how many ponies you've got and how all that works. We don't count them. We don't count them. <laughs> Best to have them in different fields at different times, and then it's not so easy to know how many you've actually got. <laughs> um. <laughs> All right, you got a bunch of ponies then. <laughs> yeah. like, I don't know, 15, 15 or twenty, maybe something like that. And where do they where do they run out? Tell me about where they run out. The, well, do you know where the golf ball is on top of the Pennines. I do, yeah. Well, between Crossfell and the golf ball, 
That is Milburn Fell. Of course, it goes right down the back to um, Moor House. But they don't go over the top, Tom. It's too boggy. It's too, too... Um, if they get, I've, I've dug them out of bogs. Well, you can't dig them out of a bog. You have to pull them out of a bog. I'm not sure I would know how to do it now, but you do it with a winch. You can't dig them out. So it's a natural barrier. It's a natural barrier that stops them going yeah. too far. They don't actually run that much on Crossfell now because it's all been fenced since um, foot and mouth. Ah, right, OK. So it's great, great, fun, great Dunfell and uh, Little Dunfell is where the ponies go. They can go right over the top if they want, but they don't go. If you're looking at the fell, they can't particularly go to the right too far because they get stopped by the Ministry of Defence at Walkup. So what, roughly what sort of acreage are we talking about? Hectares, any idea? Massive. Massive. <laughs> <laughs> OK, that's good enough for me. <laughs> it's four miles to Backfell. Right, OK. Yeah, we're proper then, aren't we? So I, I have been, I've yeah. been to your place a couple of times and we were doing some filming there, weren't we, last year? And I've been to... I don't know whether you call it the fell gate, but you've got some little pens yeah. and enclosures there where they come down. Yeah, sheep pens. Yeah. Sheep pens, yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's proper wild country. There's not a lot of shelter there, is there? I mean, apart from the hillsides themselves, there is... there's there's nothing there. No, there's nothing there. I mean, um, we have no grass. Reckon that the grass will start to grow on about the 25th of April. There'll be nothing. March is the hungry month. Yeah, Tommy Capsic always used to say that to me. March is the hardest month, and he's right, because all, all the yeah. browse has gone. They've had it all, haven't they? Yeah, what was there has gone, and what is going to come hasn't arrived. To say the ponies can manage without nothing to eat is ridiculous. I like my cornflakes every morning, and so do they. You can't live on nothing, Tom. No one can. I mean, there are some wild days up there. Storm Arwen, we went to see them after Storm Arwen. And we normally don't go to see them much before Christmas Day. But Storm Arwen, I was worried. I thought, hmm. Somebody rang and said, the ponies are down. We must be going to get some bad weather. They came down two days before the storm. How do they know, Tom? How do they know? We went and they were um, just down at the bottom of the fell. And then we went, did we go that day of the storm? No. No. Went the next day. Went the next day. And it was just like glass because the, it, the wind had frozen everything. And I just wondered, where on earth are they? What are they doing? And we looked and I said, they've gone. They've gone. Anyway, we went a little bit further. We could just see them. We didn't go near because they were sheltering and they were like penguins. You know how penguins go into a circle and the young ones on the inside and the old mares on the outside and they were standing, but they weren't standing behind a wall. They would be 15, 20 yards off of this wall, all facing one way. And you're thinking, well, why are they standing here? But when you actually looked, they were in a little bit of a hollow, and the la behind them there was the wall, and beyond the wall there was like a hill. 
So they would just be in the lee of this hill. They wouldn't stand next to the wall and they wouldn't go anywhere near the trees because it's too noisy. How do they know, Tom? I, I don't know. I wish, I wish we could talk to them, isn't it? I just wish we could talk to them sometimes. talk about like the ponies and the weather by chance met a man who was one of the very first people to work up at the golf ball at the radar he said they kept like notepads of where the ponies were because they had a good view from up there and he said they could completely dictate when the bad weather was coming and everything by the movement of where they were on the fell And of course, the people up at the golf ball knew to get down if the weather was going to come really bad. The ponies would tell them, leave here now. It's just, it is incredible how... How uh, do they know? Yeah. Your father... Christine was Frank. Yes, right. Who I who I had the honour of meeting a couple of times. Yeah. He was a very gentle man, Frank, wasn't he? And and it's and actually I, I wrote something down later. I don't know where it was. I made a note of it. But you know, a lot of those old fell, fell pony men, they were very quiet and gentle men. And I think there was something about that job meant you had to be that kind of a person. Mm. But um, that's what struck me about Frank. They always said, Master and friend, not boss and slave. Yeah, yeah, they're perfect. Yeah, that makes it, that says it all. So, Christine, can we go back to your sort of earliest memories of ponies at Lounthwaite? Well, yes. I mean, you live in a farm which is on its own, in remote, not remote in today's terms, but, you know, on its own. So you resort to um, self-employment or self-entertainment. Yeah, we always had a pony, always. First pony I remember was a brown and white pony. I should remember how much she cost, but she was a foal. And I think she was five pounds and came out a Wigton auction and came home in the back of the car. <laughs> and, um, but if Frances was a baby, I would be four. And she came in and they said uh, that um, the four went under the kitchen table and we were trying to get it out. <laughs> so that's my first recollections of a pony, was this um, sunshine, we called her. She was a brown and white. And I think she was an Icelandic pony. There would have always been fell ponies around, though. Oh, yeah. Well, if you have fell ponies, for the same reason you have Clydesdales. And not Shires. I mean, Shire, the Shires were south... Is it the Kendall Vale of York line? South of that is Shires. North of that is Clydesdales. And it's to do with food and soil and the work they have to do. 
they always said the the Shire men always said that a Clydesdale couldn't pull the skin off a rice pudding. <laughs> Dad said it's true. It is true. He said your your um, Shires are bigger, they're stronger, um, they eat a lot more, and they're not as amenable. He said a Clydesdale will go from this job to that job to the other job. He said. There's nothing wrong with shires, but he said Clydesdales are e easier to work with, and um, they always they only ever once had shires. I can I can just remember as ever having one cart horse, and um, all the Clydesdales died of grass sickness in the whole of Cumbria, so they had to have um, shires. And Dad said, hopeless, absolutely useless. The fashion for feather in shires meant that they all got knits and grapes. He said you'd hear them standing and stamping their feet at night and um, then they would scrape one leg up the other and make the legs bleed. He said, well, that's no good if they're always knocking the shoes off. Yeah, the Shires were good, big, strong horses, but no, no. He said, and coming in, you've, you've been ploughing. Who wants to come in and start washing legs? Nobody. So, horses for courses, isn't it? Horses for courses. Fell ponies didn't have feather, Tom. Nobody wanted to come in. Who wants to cut, the, I mean, the tails were docked. Dad said that was the one job he absolutely hated. Docking ponies and horses. He said he absolutely hated it. And the only ponies that Grandad would ever dock were them that were going to be sold. Because if they weren't docked, he couldn't sell them. Fashion. Fashion. There's a hole, isn't there, at Lancaster? Yeah, there's a hole. There's a hole in the wall. And, of course, you would back the horse up to this hole in the wall... And then you'd put its tail through and then you would, often the blacksmith did it and then the, you would just chop it off with the axe. Terrible. And then, um, of course, they were, they were on the inside so you, they couldn't kick you. And then, um, funny, isn't it? Funny. You got a handful of cobwebs to put on the end of the tail to to make it uh, clot. You know, funnily enough, I think I might be wrong, but I think the SAS or somebody like that does that as well, actually. Because spider's spit contains an anticoagulant and an anaesthetic, so that when your fly gets on the cobweb, it's anaesthetized. Yeah. Oh, the old ways. Old ways. Twelve years ago, I did some filming with a few of the breeders, and I, and we came and spent the day with you. And you were talking there about um, not docking, but about cutting the bottom of the tail and the feather, so that in a really hard winter when everything's frozen up, you said you'd come across some horses that were tethered to the ground with the ice. Tethered, yeah. This week we've just been cutting tails. <laughs> My scissors should have been sharper. <laughs> One, I think one, I've cut one tail. I don't know how I did it. I don't know how I did it. 
It's at a 45 degree angle. Are you, are you still backing the horse up to the hole in the wall? <laughs> no, no. Oh, but, um, okay. Yeah, if, if the... Um, if the, I don't like the tails trailing on the ground any time because when they step back they pull hair out and it'll hurt won't it? it will bloody hurt so I, I like to have it um, shorter now dad would cut them at um, hunter length ankle length Surprised how much to grow. Yeah, well, I know. I had um, Wellbrow Rover last year, and I swear his tail grew six inches just yeah. in the summer. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, it's ankle length, and um, the manes. Um, I don't like long manes. They're just uh, well. I think if we had long hair and you had a wash, it would be it would be wet down your back all damn day. But. Um, I always cut out the knots. You know how the males all get knotted up. I have been known to trim them. <laughs> I wanted to do a little, a few minutes about breeding. So nowadays you're known, or at least I know you, um, for breeding predominantly, or only black ponies. Um, I don't know if that's totally true, but do you only use black stallions? And do you ever get throwbacks to different colours if you're constantly using black stallions with black mares? We've bred a couple of greys. Yeah. Intentionally? Uh, we bought a mare back once and she was in fall to a grey stallion. And then Francis used a grey stallion. So she's bred a couple of greys, but generally black. We've we, never had we a... once bred a grey fall. And we had to sell it. The other ponies wouldn't have it. They would put it out. They would put it out of the out of the field. They would not tolerate it. Funny. It is interesting because we talked about this. Well, Andrew thought we talked about it, and I have similar experiences as well. Yeah, it is interesting. But they're all black. You don't get any browns. No hard browns or bays. No. no bears, no. If I got a bear, I would sell it. <laughs> no, we've, they generally come black. Some are blacker than others. Than others. I would say my, most of my ponies are black, fading black. I, I think I read somewhere that Harry would say uh, that black ponies were unlucky because they were funereal. All black ponies were lucky. Unlucky? Unlucky. unlucky. Yeah. All black ponies were funereal. Unlucky. So he must have been. Was he breeding all shapes and colours, or when did you when did you become a predominantly black herd? By default, the Romani people like a coloured. Why do they like a coloured? Go on, tell me. Because they're easily identifiable, and they're not going to get commandeered by the army. No, I was going to come on to that later, actually, because this has happened, doesn't it? This happened to you, to you guys. Was this during the First World War when they were commandeering, they were pack ponies? Ponies for Pakistan, yeah. So you're not going to get, if you've got a, a grey, you see, they were noted for being um, religious ponies. And they weren't going to get com commandeered either, were they? They were peace ponies. And... Um, the coloured were the Romani people because they weren't going to get commandeered by the army for remounts. A lot of the white markings were bred out by default. 
if you've got a pony with two white back feet and you've got a pony that's all black and the one with two white feet worth more money, which are you going to sell? So if you cross your pony with two white back feet with a coloured pony, you're more than likely to get an, a coloured. And that's why the white markings, in my opinion, was bred out by default. Because it, there was a time when the only people that would buy your fell ponies were your, were your Romanies. And they would cover them with a, a coloured cob and get a coloured foal. And it's funny, isn't it, how now we've kind of gone full circle that generally when somebody comes to buy a pony, they don't want any white markings. They want that all black pony or that all brown pony. So we've kind of gone completely the opposite, haven't we? Something with white markings was worth more and now, generally speaking, it's worth less. Yeah, it's funny. I like them with a star, actually, because the stars are really useful for identifying them. It is identifying. Yeah. yeah, that's how... We, we like a bit of white, so I we like know which is white. Yeah. Because you know which is yeah, which. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, how, how old's Tilly? Right. So Tilly was born, put in mouth here, out of a fell pony, by next door's show jumper... Who happened to be coloured. Who happened to be coloured and was by... Um, it was by Oberon, the Queen's horse. And um, we got two foals, one of which was coloured. You'll have seen his driver. Have you seen t photos of Teapot? Oh, yeah, I've, I remember Teapot. Yes, 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 yes. I remember you talking about Teapot, yeah. As a two-year-old, taking it to Scout and Show, there's only one class, and that's your hunter class, and you're laughed out of the ring. Nobody rides a coloured. Nobody wants a coloured. How dare you bring a potter pony here? When you say potter, you mean a gypsy or a tinker. That's what you're meaning by that. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. 20 years, the fashion has completely changed. How times have changed. And I know actually quite often when I talk to you, you talk about fashion and uh, no, it, it all fits. It all fits. Ponies that go back to the fell have to be sure-footed and hard. And if they're not, they won't come back. No, they won't come back. It's too hard to go in. A lot of the tracks going up the fell, they're just sheep trods. And they're just... Um, well, you, you go to get them, and the mist came down, didn't it, on you, Alison? Yeah, I went about Be two, three years ago. No, I went to get them in for falling. I could see them, and, and I walked up, and then the mist came down, and so I just... I just sort of sat and waited and then I went a bit further up and the mist came down again and I was like, oh, my word, Mum's going to tell me off. Anyways, I found them and I caught Peanuts, one of the mares, and I couldn't remember where I was. I'd lost my bearings completely, so I was like, oh, we'll go this way. So I got hold of her and I'm trying to lead and she's just looking at me going, what are you doing? I am not going that way. And she kept dragging me off. And I'm like, no, 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 come on, we'll go this way, we'll go this way. And no, not having it. So I went, mate, okay, then come on. And she knew exactly where to go. She got me down off that fell, down these little narrow things. Not the way I would have gone, but she wasn't going my way. She was like, don't you be stupid, human. And you can't make them. You know, there was no way she was going to go that way because it wasn't 
safe or um, practical for a pony. And, and they can be down off that fell in a flash. Here we are, we're at the favourite bit of the show. Everybody loves this bit where we're going to call the herd home. I call my ponies as lifted coming down for hay and I'm going to get you to do the same, OK? Mine are always waiting. Pip the horn. <laughs> Have you got a horn? Go get your horn, go get it. Come on! Come on! Ho! That'll do. Yeah, that's what we do. Right, go on then. You don't want to know what I shout if they're not waiting. <laughs> go on, tell me. I'll bleep it. I just pipped the car horn. Beep, beep! Beep, beep! If you like what you're hearing, why not come and join the herd at Patreon and help us continue to provide great content for free. As well as podcasts, we've already uploaded over an hour of Fell Pony films to our Fell Pony Adventures YouTube channel. So come and join the herd at patreon.com slash fellpony. It hasn't changed a great deal. It hasn't in my lifetime. Ponies are at the Fell in winter. When it's bad weather, you go and you feed them or you let them in. They're brought in to fall. They're kept in by with your stallion. And then once you'd finished serving, they go, they go back until weaning time. And then the foals are taken straight off and the mares are kicked straight back to the fell. And they'll stay there until next year when you're foaling. And all the time, you've got your youngsters that you're not breeding from are at the fell 24-7, 365 days of the year until it's their turn to come into the stallion or to be sold or broken in and sold. And it hasn't really changed. No. It's interesting, actually, because the next... I was just going to move on to this section, and it's just happened. I was going to talk about the seasons, because I think of all the people I know in Fell Pony World and the herds that I've met and talked to over the years, for you guys, the natural calendar seems to be really important. You know, you're working with Mother Nature. And I remember you saying you start to cover your mares on the longest day of the year when there's optimum light, fresh grass, so the mare is more likely to conceive... And there's something else um, that I picked up on, which I just picked up last in a conversation with Alison last year, was that your tradition is that y your foals must only be weaned on a fine day when the backs are dry to minimise the possibility of either mares or foals catching a chill. So there's, you know, you're you're working to the the, the old calendars here, aren't we? You've, you know, longest days and and all of that. So yeah, is that something you? picked up from your dad's and your pet, your granddad? You know, is it just how you've always done it? Well, we don't... I mean, we're bringing our sheep in for lambing time, but we won't bring them in if the backs are wet. They've got to come in on a fine day, Tom. It's the, the, the danger of them all getting pneumonia, you know. In a, in a shed, a lot of damp sheep, in a very humid air, just recipe for disaster. But I think... You are dictated by the weather and you're dictated by the land and generally people are falling sooner and sooner, earlier and earlier. But 
we can't, you know, you've got to get lambed. You can't do everything all at once. You've got to get lambed and they've got to get away before you can bring the ponies down because there's nothing to eat. You know, they might as well stop at the fell, you know, and then you bring them down because there's something to eat. You're full, you're not on calving, you're not on lambing. It's the next thing to do, isn't it? There's that fine line because if you then want to take them to the sale, they've got to be a certain age. So you can't be falling much later because of the sale. But also you need to you can't really leave your falls on because that mare needs to put on its her fat reserves ready for winter and they don't want to fall bringing them down all the time. I do remember the very first time I got on about Galloway's and um, I reminded when I watched the Antiques Roadshow and this guy brought in two figures, two carved bits of wood. And one was of a, a miner, who was beautiful. And the other was of a pit pony. And uh, Fiona Bruce said, well, what's these things on its eyes? And he said, well, the pony sped 50 weeks below ground and two weeks they came up for a holiday. And they had like, um, they were like metal discs with slats in them. For the, because being in the dark all the time, it would have uh, blinded them with the sunlight. They said, well, you know, where did these ponies come from? He said, we call them Gallowers because they came from Galloway. But they didn't, did they? I came across quite a bit. Um, yeah, Frank remembered a time when fell ponies were always called Gallowers. Yeah, I do. And you see, the, further south, the, the Dales ponies were called Jaggers. Yeah, OK, so I know about Jaggers because Jaggers actually relates to pack ponies. And that comes from Jaeger, which is which the Jaegermeister, which is the, 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 whatever, Danish or whatever, hunting ponies, wasn't it? So German, so the, German, German um, translation Jagger is um, a hunter. Hunter, that's right. But the, the man that led the pack pony trains was called a Jagger as well. Yeah, but was this something to do with the wool trade? Because, you see, even today we have um, Jaeger sweaters, don't we? Yeah, you're right. Well, it was at the pit heads that were called Jaggers. And there are... Um, Beth Slater had a bit on this. And there's some roads called Jagger Lane and Jagger Road, Jagger Avenue. And it would likely be the pack horse trains. I mean, we, I can remember selling ponies to um, to go down the mines. And um, I can remember, um, I don't know how many ponies we sold. And I, I can nearly remember who bought them, but I won't say. And he paid for them in white £5 notes. And I've still got one. It's funny because there's a lot, you guys have, whether it's Frank's notes or whoever's notes, all the way through there's... There's references to how much a pony was in 1937 or 1960, whatever. And it's interesting that, you know, it's been a real, uh, what do you call it, a graph that's just going up and down, like a roller coaster. Because there was a time in 1935, I made a note, the price paid for two unbroken geldings at Appleby Fair was £7 each. Yeah. And that, the two... For the two, that's £14. That was the same as the wages for one agricultural worker for a year. Yeah. So, so that was really good. 
but then there's other times is written you've only got um here we go i've got this and there's another note says christian and francis have taken the ponies to wigton and you've come on with six pounds why do we bother to keep them it's just really interesting how much we've kind of been rising and going to the bottom with prices in the last whatever less than 100 years yeah and and that's uh, and that's not just due to fashion fashion no no there's another note i made here and i thought this was really interesting it's going back to the um the ponies being commandeered during the 1418 war the number of ponies the army could purchase at places like appleby and Bruffhill was insufficient so they came to farms and commandeered ponies also taking a cart and a load of fodder and heavy horses to pull it, leaving insufficient fodder on which to feed the remaining farm animals. So that's, that was pretty brutal. But then this is quite a turning point for you guys because during the Second World War, when rationing came in, nobody wanted the ponies and Storm Boy came to you. Now, Storm Boy was the famous stallion that Joe Baxter, yeah. the stallion walker, had, wasn't he? Yeah. So, so that came to you, you guys, because you were prepared to keep it. Yeah. Dad would be about, he was born in 23. When war broke out, Dad would be 20. And he'd been to see his auntie at Dalston. And he bought a thoroughbred filly from John Dickinson. And this filly was by some famous racehorse stallion. I think we called her Flash. And Dad told his father that this horse was five pounds. And the stud fee had been about 200. And Grandad said to John, "E, that's neat fare, I'll give you a tenner. So he paid 10 pounds for this filly. And she was a thoroughbred. She was Dad's shepherding pony. But of course, you see, as farmers, you had rations for, for ponies, didn't you? So you, you, would, you could keep Stormboy as a worker and you would have a ration for him. And you could, Dad could have this thoroughbred because it was the equivalent of a Land Rover. And I can remember going shepherding on Flash and um, bred some good ponies out of it that went to the police, one of which was called Pennine Way and won a lot of prizes. She was a good pony. You could catch a sheep riding her. Honestly, even I could do that, and I would only be eight. And that's why Stormboy came, because we would be able to feed him. Plenty rough grazing. In 1953, Harry was elected chair of the Fell Pony Society and at the time he was concerned the true fell pony was being lost to ponies that were too much like Dale's ponies and, and a lot of them were too tall. I'm putting two and two together here but I think it must have been through Harry's leadership that the Society Council decided that all fell ponies paraded at the Stallion Show and Colt Show would be measured and anything above 14 hands wouldn't be allowed to compete for the Stallion Premiums. So yeah I thought that was really interesting actually that 1953, so what, 70 years ago back then they were worried that they were getting too tall. Yeah. Because Grandad came in at a time when there was a lot of change. There was, um, the membership had changed from a few old farmers who carried on regardless, with new members like, you know, a few lady members. 
It was the start of the leisure industry, as you might say. Grandar was against closing the stud books. I know that. Very much against closing Okay, books. so let, let me just explore that a little. So at the time, so it could be only registered fells entered in the stud book. Okay, and before, yeah. so before that, yeah. I know that you were allowed to, you know, have a, a foal by a fell or a dales. Grading up. Okay. First of all, as I understand it, if it looked like a fell, you could call it a fell. And then it became, if it looked like a fell and it was by a registered stallion, you could call it a fell. And it would go straight into the stud book. Um, but then they introduced a grading up scheme. And um, then they decided to discontinue the grading up scheme. And that closing the stud book to any new ponies. I'd never really had that described to me like that before, so that's really interesting. Yeah. Okay, so a bit about the future, I suppose, really. There's a little quote there I got from Frank. What he says is, helping to gather the ponies off the fell, opening and shutting the gates, fetching and carrying, the children would be serving their time, learning their traditional ways from their parents and grandparents, just as the generations had done, bef- had done before them. Yes, Mary has learned to open and close the fell gate for me. <laughs> and you're never too long to learn to muck out. <laughs> never too long. You're... So, and the last time I spoke, the last time I interviewed you guys was literally 12 years ago. And I, and I wonder how things have changed for the better or the worse in the last sort of 10 or 12 years, you know, in in recent history, where are we at? What's Where are we at with things, do you think? I don't think things have changed, really. I think you were saying about, you know, prices of ponies fluctuating. I mean, recent times, like last year, was a good trade. But, I mean, even even two or three or four years ago, ponies were still making the same price as they were 15 years ago you know so people are saying oh haven't they gone up covid prices and all the rest of it but it's where they want to be everything else has gone up well it's where they want to be and even then actually when you put all you look at all the work you put in it's still not a big return on your time is it um but but i agree i think i think also though for us i think we're still a little bit bonkers (laughs) we don't you're not doing it for the money tom are you no no, no. <laughs> You're not. You're not doing it. For no, money. but what? But what I say. But what I say is, what I get back out of these ponies is priceless. You can't put a value on it. I think we'd be pretty bored if we didn't have them. Would you not just settle for sheep and cattle? No, no. So, so what do you get out of the ponies that you don't get out of the sheep and the cattle? That's a good question. I don't know why we do do it. I don't. Know. <laughs> Some people get out of sheep what we get out of ponies. Yeah, they must be mad. <laughs> Some people get out of dogs or cats what we get out of ponies. Well, what what do we get? What do we get? A headache? A vet bill? Why do we do it? Well, I get a lot of enjoyment out of it, um, and I get uh, when I'm when I'm doing stuff with it, I get a real. Um, uh, I mean, I guess I know what you're saying. Like some people get the same kick surfing, riding a wave. Well, that's what I get driving horses. You know, I get that buzz from it. But driving them isn't the same as breeding them. No, it's not. Okay, right. So why am I breeding ponies? Yeah. Look, you've turned it round. I'm supposed to be doing the interview. <laughs> I think, why do we do it? Um, probably because we always have, and that's not a very good answer, is it? 
because they've always been there and you don't want to see them. If I don't do it, they'll be gone. But is that a reason to do it? Well, it's funny, and, and, and I say I don't take this lightly, actually, because, you know, I served my time while my dad was alive, you know, holding it all together, holding the fort, going every, going to the meetings and, uh, you know, and then after he died, I was, I, I did question myself, actually, you know, am I still into this now? And actually, I was more than ever. So I wasn't doing it just because of him. There was something deep inside me that is making me want to do it. And, and I want to do it even more now than I did back then. For me, and probably for you, it's kind of bred in us. Yeah, it's kind of bred in you. Um, you know, they've been there for for generations and in some respects they were passed down to mam. and even though I still make her work, she's kind of passing the the book to me. And, you, and even though it sounds ridiculous, you don't kind of want to let those that have gone before us down by not doing it. It's kind of ex- not expected because you have to want to do it. But um, then what would we do if we didn't have them? I could I could hoover. No, that's boring. And dust. <laughs> no, why do we want to do that? <laughs> Couldn't I? And I think there is there is that enjoyment when that first fall is born and it's a nice sunny day, you forget about going to the fell when it's blowing a gale and you're freezing cold. You can hardly stand up. That that's all gone and it sort of goes into insignificance because it's all been worthwhile. You've got that new that new pony, that new life, and that means the breed's going to continue for a little bit longer. Well, there's so much amazing, interesting stuff there. I've literally, I, I, I've got four times as many questions here that I haven't got round to asking you, but it's all been really, really, really interesting. Um, but we are winding up now, so I've got the three quick questions for you. Uh, I've never done it with two people before, so I don't know. We're going to have to take it one at a time here. Yeah, but the first question is ride or drive? Ride. <laughs> it's easier. Ride, yeah. Ride. Uh, second question, best fell pony or line of fell ponies in the history of the breed? Mine would be Bunny, which is mine. Lampwick Bramble. I've always liked the guards' ponies. They're always good goers. Have you ever have you brought any guards ponies into yours? Yeah, guards hero. Yeah, they were always good goers. You know, get a move on. Last question: black, brown, bay, or grey? Black. black. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I had to ask. <laughs> cool. Um, um, Alice and Christine, that's been re- again. I mean, I say this every week, but enlightening. Some really, really great stories in there. It's been really interesting to to talk, and I wish we could have kept on talking. Um, but thank you, thank you so much. It's been a really, really good show. Thanks a lot. Can always do, can always go again. <laughs> <laughs> Be careful. I might hold you to that. Have a great summer, and I hope you have lots of foals, Philly foals. Listening back to that conversation, having come through a long, hard slog of a winter, there have been times when I've also asked myself, why do we do it? I'll tell you why we do it. Because we take great pride in owning and breeding a great pony. Because nothing turns a head down a country lane or city highway like the sound of a trotting horse. There's nothing like getting over a jump for the first time, or even sitting on a youngster for the first time. And when you really make a connection, when you're right in the moment, 
you're connecting with the past, the present and the future all at the same time and that's an amazing thing. There's something so deep inside us that connects us with ponies, it's within our DNA. For as long as there will be humans, people, they will have relationships with horses and ponies. This is why we do it. Thank you all so much for joining me through this second series of the Fell Pony Podcast. If you liked it, please do me a favour and subscribe to us on iTunes. And if you really liked it, do me an even bigger favour and leave a review. It will really help us get the word out. I'd especially like to thank my patrons who have supported me throughout this journey. I'm eternally grateful for your support. So why not come and join the Patreon herd and help us keep this podcast alive? We will be back later in the year with more amazing guests. So in the meantime, I wish you all great adventures with your ponies. Bring on the summer 2022. See you next time.